Thank you for checking out the messages of New Grace. We are a group of believers in Roanoke, Virginia, who are dedicated to loving God, loving others, and serving others. We hope that today's message is a blessing to you and your family. Amen. Uh, get your Bibles open to Luke chapter number three. Again, a very obvious Christmas text. When you get there and start reading, you're going to say, no, it's not, but it is, I promise. Uh, we've been, for the last several weeks now, in the season of Advent. And Advent is a time when we as believers, we stand in the middle of, of two realities. We look back at the reality that Jesus came as a baby born in a manger to save us from our sins, that he came to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins and shed his blood, to be buried in a borrowed tomb and then rise again three days later. We look back and say, that's what he came for. That's what happened. That's what was promised. And that's what has come true. And we, we, we look back at what his death and resurrection has, has purchased for us. It gives us victory over sin and death. It gives us victory over oppression. It gives us freedom from the power of sin. So we look back and say, Lord, thank you for coming. Thank you for keeping your word. Thank you for purchasing all these things for us. But we're still waiting for the second advent. We're still waiting for the ultimate fulfillment of his promise. We, we know that we, we have those things. We have victory over sin. We have victory over the power of sin and death and the grave. But we still struggle with those things. We are waiting for the day when all the things we struggle with will be over. We're free from the power and the penalty of sin, but we still deal with the reality of sin. Other people's sin, the sin of the world, still affects us. Our sin still affects us. You know, Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he, he gave us the Holy Spirit and he, he gave us victory over the power of sin. See, before you were saved, you had no choice but to sin. You were a slave to sin. That's just what your nature did. But now you're saved. You're no longer a slave to sin. But show of hands, how many of you still sin? Everybody's hand better be up or you're a liar and that's a sin right there. We have power over the... We have victory over the power of sin, but we still struggle with sin. And we're going to struggle with sin until we see Jesus Christ face to face. We're free from death, but we, we still mourn those who we've lost. We still fear death. You know, we, we all know that, you know, death for the believer is not really death, but we're going to close our eyes and we're going to open our eyes on the other side of heaven and see Jesus face to face. But besides Brother McCormick, who wants to go today? He does. He's like, I'm going tomorrow. I'm like, no, you're going to outlive all of us, Brother McCormick. I've been praying for it. But we all know, hey, when we close our eyes in death, we open them in victory in front of Jesus Christ face to face, and that gives us grace and peace and hope. But None of us are really rushing off to die today, I hope. If you are, please talk to me. We can, we can help you with that. So we still fear death of our love. We still fear death when we lose our loved ones. You know, we know when we lose a loved one and they're saved that 
we're, they're not really dead. We're going to see them again one day, but we still mourn their loss. We still don't want them to leave. We still want to spend time with them. So we've got victory over death, but we're still, we're still struggling with the reality of death. We celebrate what Christ has done for us, and we wait for the fulfillment of the promise and the ultimate victory to come one day. So as believers in 2020, we're celebrating what has already been done through Christ. We are celebrating the victories that we have in Christ, but we're also walking in sorrow. You know, I could testify for, for hours, and I'm sure all of us could, about the goodness of God in my life, the grace that God has shown me, the mercy that God has given me in every area of my life. But I could also tell you about things I don't understand. Losses I've had to suffer. Battles I've had to go through. Trials that I have to face. And, and sicknesses and fear. And so, yes, God's been so good to me. But there's still struggle in this life. There's still heartache in this life. There's still difficulty in this life. And we are at the in-between rejoicing at what has been accomplished through the first advent and waiting for what will be accomplished in the second advent. Now, Christmas is kind of like that. You know, Christmas is 12 days away. Don't freak out. You still have time to buy your presents online after the service. You don't have to do it now. You can do it later, and Amazon will have it to you in two days. They promise that. But Christmas is, is coming up very, very fast. The excitement is building, especially in kids. You know, April last night, she wrapped some gifts while I was watching the worst game of the year. But she was wrapping some gifts, and she, she put them under the tree. And as soon as she did, Alexis comes out and looks at all the names to make sure they, got, they all got the equal amount of presents. Make sure that one of the, kid, one of the boys didn't get a more of a present than she did. And if, if, they're not, if, they're, if they're not equal numbers, she wants more. But so she's looking at the present, she's shaking them, she's, they're excited for what's going to come. You know, and it's a wonderful morning. The excitement's building, they count down the days. And at our house on, on Christmas morning, the kids are going to wake up super early. They're going to tear into their presents. We'll take pictures. We'll clean up the trash. We'll go back to bed. We'll wake up and have a big breakfast. I think we're going to have French toast and bacon and sausage and biscuits and gravy and ham and eggs. and No? Okay, we're going to have something. Uh, we'll have a big breakfast and we'll, we'll just enjoy the day. We'll spend time just watching the kids play with their gifts or break their toys. We got them already. And then, you know, after a while, the excitement is going to be gone, you know. Friday is going to be a good day, but, but Saturday is coming. The day after Christmas, when everything's going to be done, all the excitement's going to be gone, and then we're just, we're just in 2020. And let's be honest, none of us want to be just in 2020. Joy that gives, it is joy that gives way to sorrow. Good and bad. At the second advent, when Christ returns and restores all things to the way it should be, there will be nothing but joy. There'll be no end to it. There'll be no sorrow mixed in with the joy. It will be complete and total joy. 
But what is joy? True joy, the joy that Jesus brings, is more than just a feeling of happiness. See, biblical joy goes deeper than that. And joy is a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. There are a lot of things the Bible says bring us joy. The Bible says a good harvest brings us joy. You know, we're already in wintertime, but when spring comes, some of y'all are going to plant your gardens and you're going to enjoy those tomatoes and cucumbers or beans or whatever it is you plant. You're going to enjoy those. We tried that once and it was too hard, so we just go to the farmer's market and let the other people do the work. But a good harvest brings joy. Bible says a well-maintained flock brings joy. We don't, I don't think we have any shepherds in here. But if you were a shepherd or a cow herder or whatever they call them, if you, a, good, a good healthy flock will bring you joy. The Bible says a wedding brings joy. It says children bring joy. I, I know not always, but children bring joy. Bible says that friendship. Bible says in Proverbs that friendship brings joy like a good perfume brings joy. So there are a lot of things in life that the Bible says bring us joy. But we don't live in a world that is just sources of joy. There are some sources of joy, but we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is full of selfishness and sin. We live in a world that is corrupted. It is marked by death and loss. That's where biblical joy comes in. See, joy is not a attitude that's associated that is based on your circumstances. So you can have joy even when you're facing a trial. You can have joy even when you're dealing with pain. Joy comes from your hope in God's love for you and God's promises to you. You know, when Israel, the Bible says when Israel is let out of slavery, they are in slavery to Egypt for over 400 years, and Moses comes and leads them out and takes them across the Red Sea, and they, they turn around and they see the Red Sea crash down on top of Pharaoh and destroy the Egyptian army. The first thing they did was sing for joy. Now, where were they? Yeah, they were out of slavery, but they're in the desert. Have no water, have no food, have no idea where they're going. They're in the desert place, but they're rejoicing because of what God had done for them. Our joy is not determined by our present circumstances or struggles. Our joy is determined by our future destiny. Throughout the Bible, Israel suffered. They suffered persecution. They suffered enslavement. They suffered famine and, and being conquered and suffered loss, but they still had joy. They had joy because they trusted in the promise of God to send a Messiah, to send the Redeemer, to send someone to fix everything that had been broken. That's why when Jesus was born, the angels announced that they had good news of great joy for all people. You know, when Paul's in prison, the Bible says he chose to have joy because he knew his future, the, the, what God had waiting for him was much greater than the present pain he was in. 
We can acknowledge our pain and trust Jesus to understand that whatever loss we are facing, whatever trial we are going through, it's not the end that we're going to receive. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' life, his love for us, and his promises to us. So as we look at the joy of Advent, I want to look at what, uh, what the joy that we have in Luke chapter number 3. So get your Bibles open to Luke chapter 3. We're going to start in verse number 4. The Bible says, as it is written, in the books of the words of Esaias, the prophet, that's Isaiah. This is John the Baptist speaking here. Uh, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and the all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers! Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath of God to come? Look, you, no matter who you are, you've got to love the preaching of John the Baptist. He is not a seeker-sensitive preacher. He's not like, well, I, you know, we'll talk about the love of God and we'll, we'll show him what God... He's like, you're a bunch of vipers. You know, if I started every message that way, like, hey, you, you vipers, you snakes, you rotten people, how many of y'all are going to come back? None of us. That's why I was like, I love you, God loves you. John the Baptist is like, nope, you're vipers, you're snakes, you're, you're, you're evil. And so he, he starts his sermon by calling them vipers. And look at verse number eight. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able to these stones to raise up children unto Abraham, and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed unto you. Now the publicans, they're the tax collectors. And tax collectors at the time, they would usually collect more tax to help, you know, line their own pockets. And he goes, hey, if you're a tax collector, do your job, but don't collect any more than you're supposed to. Uh, verse 14, and the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, and what shall we do? And he said unto them, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Now, I know what you're thinking. What does this have to do with Christmas? Je you know, Jesus hasn't been mentioned yet. You know, he's not even shown up yet. He's already been born in Luke chapter 2. We just skip right over that and go to Luke chapter 3. So what does this have to do with Christmas and joy? I'll explain it to you. There is a lot of imagery in this passage from the, the book of Isaiah about the Messiah. It's a lot of poetic imagery that John the Baptist is giving. He is, he is preaching from the book of Isaiah. Now, we're preaching from the book of Luke about John preaching from the book of Isaiah, but he's, he's using this poetic imagery to show what the Messiah is going to do when he comes. Now, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus that was prophesied in Isaiah, the one in the wilderness who is going to cry about him and, and tell people about him. And the Bible says, make his paths straight. Now, he's not making the path easier for Jesus. 
Because Jesus doesn't need his path easier. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus talks to a storm and the storm ceases. Jesus talks to a dead girl, tells her to get up, and she gets up. Jesus doesn't need the path made easier. What he is saying is that with the coming of Jesus, the path of salvation will become easier for you and me. The Messiah will come, and he's not going to come and bring tablets and laws and new rules to follow. He's going to come and make the path, the pathway to God easier for everyone. Now, that's part of the joy we have at Advent, that when Jesus came, he made the way to God as easy as it could be for every single person on earth. That all we have to do to get to God, we don't have to go through all these rituals and these sacrifices and, these, and follow these rules and these laws. All we have to do is put our faith and trust in the fact that Jesus came as God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died in our place, and rose again to redeem us to God the Father. And we put our faith and trust in that and that alone, and we are reconciled to God. Now, after salvation, there's some things we're supposed to do. We'll get to that in a minute. But he made the way to God easy for everyone. But I want us to see what John says about this joy that Advent brings to us. The first thing that John says about this joy of God making the path easier is, number one, he says the low will be lifted high. Verse number five, he says, every valley shall be filled. Now, this is a, a common teaching from Jesus. Jesus is all about exalting the broken, lifting up the fallen, helping those who are the lowest in society be lifted up. We see this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, starting verse number two. <clears throat> It says, and he opened his mouth and says, taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are them which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall, be, they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are which shall blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Now that last part's important. People can talk bad about you because you're a jerk. And that's not what Jesus isn't saying. Hey, you can be the biggest jerk you want to do and people aren't going to talk bad about you. No, Jesus is saying, blessed are you when people talk bad about you for my sake. Not because you're just a hateful person. Not just because you're rude to people. Not just because you figure I'm going to do what I want to do and if people don't like me, then they don't like Jesus. No, no, no. It's not because you're, you're a jerk. It's because you are completely sold out for Jesus. A person who is surrendered to Christ will convict the hearts of those who are not and will offend them. So if you're, you're persecuted because you're just a, a mean person, 
It's not what Christ is talking about. But if people talk bad about you and they persecute you because you are fully committed to Christ and you are showing the love of God to everyone you can and you are serving Jesus and that just makes people feel bad and so then they persecute you, that's what Jesus is talking about. Because when you are bothered by someone else's righteousness, the way that people respond is by trying to tear them down. That's self-righteousness. So when, when someone is bothered by you and your devotion to Christ, the thing they try to do is tear you down to make themselves look better. That's what, that's what Jesus is talking about here. But look at verse number 12. It says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, this whole thing, and when he says blessed, that word blessed there literally means joyful, full of joy. Doesn't make sense to us because Jesus is saying the things that are supposed to make us full of joy are things that don't normally give us joy. Full of joy are you when you mourn. Full of joy are you when people are persecuting you. Full of joy are you when you're hungry and meek and reviled and persecuted. Those, those are things we want to avoid. We want to avoid persecution. We want to avoid mourning. We want to avoid being hungry and thirsty for righteousness. But God is saying we are joy. We have joy in those things. We are blessed in those things because of Christ and what he has given us and what he has promised us. See, we think a blessed life is being rich in spirit, having people love us and being rich in stuff and being full of righteousness. But Jesus shows up and he turns everything upside down. He lifts up the low things. He brings joy even in difficult times. And that's good news for you because if you are in a season of mourning, that means soon your valley will be filled and Christ will lift you up. Look, last Christmas at our house was a tough Christmas. It was a hard one. Fred was in the hospital fighting for his life. We weren't able to do anything we normally do. All our traditions just kind of got to throw it out the window because we were just hanging on. You know, normally right after Thanksgiving, we go and we get a Christmas tree from a Christmas tree farm and we cut it down as a family and have a great time doing it. Last year, just life was so up in the air and so hectic and so, so just so much turmoil. We just went to Kroger and picked up one off the, off the, the sidewalk there. I mean, it was a ridiculous little tree, but that's all we could do. And it was hard because we're... We're struggling. We're literally switching, spending 24 hours a day at the hospital to be with Fred because he was struggling so hard and, and we can't hardly do anything. We're not going to be able to go shopping. We're not going to go care. We're not going to do anything we normally do. We're just hanging on. And everyone else is having a great Christmas. And I'm not begrudging you if your Christmas last year was awesome. I'm not saying your Christmas was awesome and I was just bye-bye. No, I'd be like, but it was hard for us because we were having such a hard time and everyone else was just having a great Christmas, and we're just struggling. And it was a difficult time. But God met with us in that time. You know, April can tell you that some of her, her sweetest times with God came in those dark moments, came in that valley, came when, when we were mourning and struggling and hurting. God met with her more then than he ever had before. 
That's how the kingdom of God works. It's upside down. That's why the prosperity gospel is so evil. Because the prosperity gospel tells you God's a butler who's going to give you everything your heart desires and do everything for you. And God isn't a butler. God is a king. God is our king, and he gives us joy when we're, when we're low. So the joy we have at Advent is that the low will be lifted high. Here's the second joy we're going to have at Advent. The crooked will be made straight. Luke 3, 5, again, it says, And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. Now, the joy we have at Advent is that Christ came to straighten out those who are crooked. That's good news for me, because I'm crooked. I'm rough. And Christ came to straighten me out. Christ came to smooth over the rough spots. And hey, guess what? You're crooked too. You're rough too. You know how I know you're crooked and rough? Because you ain't in heaven yet. So you're crooked, you're rough, and Christ is working in your life to straighten out those crooked things, to smooth out those rough edges that are still pretty rough. Now, the Greek in this verse, it literally means that crooked things are being straightened out and rough things are being smoothed over. It's a process in our life. You know, you don't get saved and all of a sudden, boop, everything's straight, everything's smooth. No, it is God working in your life to straighten you out and to smooth you out and to make you more into the image of God. What that means is, again, we're not where, we're, where we are going to be. We're not there yet. We are not in the image of Christ. You know when you will be here and you're in the image of Jesus and you're perfectly sinless? When you're not breathing air anymore. That's when you'll be perfect. That's when you'll be sinless. But God is working on us to get us to that point so that we are getting closer and closer to that while we're on earth. See, we're not where we're going to be, but praise God, we're not where we used to be. Or we, we shouldn't be where we used to be. If you're still where you used to be or you're worse than you used to be, you might want to check your salvation there because God should be working in you. See, God is working on us. He is working, working to straighten us out and to smooth us out and to smooth us over. We see this in the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter number 19. <coughs> Luke chapter 19, starting in verse number 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press because he was of little stature. He ran up, therefore, and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make, make, uh, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide in thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be the guest with a man that was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, the Lord, half of my goods I give unto the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, forasmuch as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, we think, we read this story, and we rejoice because of Christ helping out little Zacchaeus. And we think, man, 
all those self-righteous people who criticize Jesus for that, man, I, I wish they would just leave little Zachy alone. I'd be with him. I'd be rejoicing. I'd be eating with him and Jesus, and I'd be rejoicing that Jesus came to save sinners. Look, I love you, but if you were there, no, you wouldn't. I wouldn't have either. We'd be in the crowd criticizing Jesus for eating with that sinner, for eating with Zacchaeus. We wouldn't have had anything to do with him. You say, why? Because Zacchaeus was one of the most hated men in the area. See, Rome at this time was controlling Israel and Jerusalem. And Rome, they, at this time, they, they ruled the entire known world. From, from England all the way down to India, they ruled the entire world. And they did it without a navy. They did it without submarines. They did it without, without an air force and nuclear weapons and M-16s and all those. They did it without any of that. How? Because they had a massive army made up of people they had conquered and mercenaries they had hired. Why do you pay for such a massive army? Taxes. The people they conquered, they would tax them excessively to pay for the army that was persecuting them. They ruled with an iron fist. When they would conquer a city, they would go in and they would crucify the men, the women, the children, and line the road leading up to that town with those crucified people so that when you're coming in, you know, I better not start any trouble here because that's what they're going to do to me. They ruled, they, they pillaged, they plundered, they murdered, they raped, and they charged you to do it to you. And Zacchaeus is collecting money for them. Not only is he collecting money for this ruling empire that is controlling Jerusalem, he's taking more to line his own pocket, so he's, he's making money on the deal. So he's getting rich, he's paying the army that's persecuting you, so people hated him. You say, well, I wouldn't do that. You hate people who voted for Biden. We can't stand those people. But I would like Zacchaeus. No, you wouldn't. We all would be right in the crowd with the Pharisees and the self-righteous saying, I can't believe Jesus is eating at his house. Because to eat at his house meant they, he was accepting him. He was showing Zacchaeus favor. And that's who Jesus chose to eat with. He didn't eat with the religious elite. He didn't eat with the, the, extra, with the people who had an extravagant lifestyle. He didn't eat with, with people who were powerful in the city. He ate with the most hated man around. He ignored the pretty and the elite and went straight to the crooked and the rough because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. You know what the most common accusation that the Pharisees made against Jesus, he hangs out with drunks and sinners. That, that was the most common thing they said about It's like, hey, hey, how's, what do you know about that, that Jesus guy? Man, well, you know what? He's, he's always hanging around on the wrong side of town. He's always hanging out with the, at the bars and with the drunk people and with the sinners. And man, We try to get him to come to prayer meeting, but he won't come to prayer meeting. We ask him to become the growth group, but he won't come to the growth group because he's eating with the worst people in society. I don't know about that guy. Matter of fact, I'm going to post on Facebook about him because I just don't think we should trust him. Because I can't believe they did that. We'd have done that. That's what he came for. Jesus came for the crooked. Jesus came for the rough. 
And that's good news for us because we're crooked and rough. And that's where we have joy. Jesus came to lift up the lowly. Jesus came to straighten out the crooked. Jesus came to smooth out the rough. And here's a third reason we have reason to rejoice this year. The gospel, John says, the gospel will go to the nations. Look at verse number six in chapter three. All, and all flesh shall see the salvation of, the God, of God. Now look, I could just say that the joy we have at Advent is the gospel will be made available to us and call it a day, but I'm not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna elaborate a little bit. I want you to get all amen on this. I want you to see how good this is for us, all right? So there's a story in Luke chapter 2. It's a great story about the birth of Jesus. It's after the, it's after the birth, but it's a great story about the birth of Jesus. There's this, this old man named Simeon. And God had promised him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. But he's getting old. He's getting sickly. His sight's starting to leave him. He's lost his hair. He doesn't have any teeth anymore. He's just an old guy. And he's, he's kind of a weird old dude hanging out around the temple. And he's like, God said, I'll see the Messiah. And they're like, man, Simeon, it's, you know, it's been 400 years since anyone's heard from God. And man, it's been 2,000 years since, or since he prophesied that he'd come. So what makes you think you're going to see him? The Spirit of the Lord told me. He's just kind of this weird dude hanging out around the temple, waiting to see the Messiah before he dies. After Jesus is born, Mary and Joseph, there's an Old Testament uh, uh, procedure in, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. There's a practice where the firstborn child, when you had a firstborn child, you would take it to the temple, you would sacrifice two turtle doves and give an offering of money to the temple to thank God for basically, you know, giving your first child, opening up a womb. And so Mary and Joseph, they, they show up to the temple to sacrifice to God, to give this offering to God over the birth of their, their firstborn. And Simeon sees baby Jesus. And what's he do? He runs up and snatches him out of Mary's arms. Freaky kind of thing. Again, we read it as like, oh, such a sweet story. Put yourself in Mary's position. You got a newborn baby. You walk in the temple and here comes this weird old dude just taking him out of your hands. But he snatches Jesus out of Mary's arms and he, he, gives, he sings this, this wonderful song about him. So in Luke chapter 2, uh, verse number 29, it says, Lord, now lettest thou, thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy, thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. All right, I want you to do something. I want you to look around and look, look, look at other people, catch their eyes, look at them, nod, say, hey, I see you. Look around. All right, y'all see that? You are fulfillment of that promise. Because none of you, as far as I know, are Messianic Jews. We have any Messianic Jews here? Yeah, didn't think so. You are fulfillment of that promise. You are fulfillment of God when he told Isaiah and when he told John the Baptist and when he told Simeon that the gospel would go to all the world, including us. You are evidence that this passage has been made true. We are the evidence that Christ wasn't bringing salvation to one group of people or to one, one section of the world, but he was bringing restoration to everyone. 
He wasn't coming for one socioeconomic status, but Christ was ushering in the low being lifted and the crooked being made straight and the rough being smoothed out for everyone in the world, including us. We are evidence that this is true, that this promise has been fulfilled, and that brings us joy. We have faith that it all works out in the trials of life. No matter what you're facing now, no matter what you're going to face later, this is great news for us. This brings joy no matter what we're facing because Christ has come to everyone. He's come to the low to exalt them. He's come to the crooked to straighten them out. He's come to the rough to make them smooth. He has brought the gospel to us. There's where our joy is. But what's required of us? We can't just say, man, God's been good. Let's have all the joy. There's some things that John the Baptist tells us that we are supposed to do to respond to this joy. So here's the first thing we're supposed to do. Live a life of repentance. Luke 3.8, he says, bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. Look, repentance isn't something you do one time to become a Christian and then never have to worry about again. You don't repent and come to Christ and, well, I repented when I got saved. I never got to repent again. Only if as soon as you got saved, you died because then you had nothing to repent of. But if you're still alive after you got saved, you should be living a life of repentance. We are to be a continually repenting people and that doesn't bother God. God's not bothered by our constantly coming to him and saying, God, man, I messed up again. Lord, I, I blew it again. Lord, I let my flesh take control again. Lord, I, I, I messed up. I, I know I came to you about this a couple weeks ago or even yesterday, but God, I did it again. And Lord, I want to repent of it. And Lord, I want to turn from it. That doesn't bother God. That brings joy to God when we continually repent. That's what he expects of his children. Because again, living in the in-between, it means I'm not what I used to be. Praise God. But I'm not what he's making me yet. He's still working on me. He's still smoothing me out. He's still straightening me out. And sometimes he smooths off one section, it gets it real nice and smooth, and then all of a sudden, man, there's a real rough section right beside it. It's like, man, I just worked, I gotta work on this part now. But he's constantly working on us. I've been a believer for over 24 years. I haven't walked with Jesus like I should all the time or like I want to all the time, but I'm walking with him. I may take one step forward and two steps back, but I'll take another step forward. Now I keep, I, it may be slow progress. It may go forward and back, but it's still progress. And that's what God wants from every single one of us. I'm not what I would like to be yet. I'm not where I'm going to be, but I'm a lot better than what I used to be. See, one of the reasons I don't like that song, Sinner Saved by Grace, because it says, you know, if you could see where I once was, if you could go with me back to where I started from, if you could really see, if, you, if we could go in a time machine and go back and look at what I used to be, you would never come back. And I wouldn't either, because I was rough. But I'm not that rough anymore. I'm not real smooth yet. I still got some rough areas, but I'm not as rough as I used to be. I was way crooked. 
I'm not perfectly straight yet, but I'm, you know, God's working out the kinks and getting me to where he wants you to be. And he does that in your life too. But how does he do that? I have to have a continual life of repentance. Despite the multiple times I fail God, his love for me is unwavering. His faithfulness to me is unending. And if you don't see that in your life, then you don't, if you don't get that God loves the broken and the crooked and the rough people, if you don't see that God loves a broken, uncontrite spirit, then you will have trouble living a life of continual repentance. You will miss God's gracious acceptance of you and you'll hide behind the weight of trying to be a good Christian. See, we don't realize our need for continual repentance, when we don't see God's unwavering love for us as it truly is, then one of two things happens. We either feel so unworthy that we don't even try. We think, man, I messed up again. There's no way God can use me. There's no way God can have anything. I just, I keep messing up over and over and over again. I know, I know God's tired of hearing from me. I know God's tired of me confessing my sins. So there's no way God can use me. So I'm just not even going to try. I'm not going to walk with him anymore. I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm not going to be, you know, I've messed up so much. He can never use me. So I'm, I'm not going to do anything at all. Look, I, I love you, but get over yourself. The sooner that you realize that God loves you, in spite of you, the sooner you're going to start pursuing Christ. God doesn't love you because you're worthy. God loves you because you're not worthy and you never could be. You're never going to be good enough for God, but he loves you anyway. He loves you in spite of you. So you'll either stop pursuing God totally or you'll go the opposite way and you, you'll think that you're actually a good Christian. You don't need to repent because you're walking with God just like you're supposed to. Again, I love you, but you're wrong. I'm not saying you're a bad person, but no matter how good of a Christian you are, no matter how faithful you are to church, no matter how faithful you are to, to tithe and all the things that we say you're supposed to do, no matter how good you think you are, you still need to repent of things that, you, that, that displease God. One of them is your pride. Because if you think, I'm a good Christian, I'm the best Christian here, I don't need to repent, you got some pride issues you got to deal with there, and you're going to repent of that and, and get right with God. You're not as good a Christian as you think you are. You need to see that you are not all that. You're not the best Christian. You are a sinner in need of repentance. And look, I don't mean you need to come to the altar every week and confess the same sins over and over and over again. That's not repentance. Repentance is a change of, re of direction. It is turning away from your sin and turning to Jesus and following him. And it has to be done continually because if you truly repent of that sin and turn to Jesus and you've, you've ignored that one, you've conquered that one, you're following Jesus, guess what? There's another sin right there you gotta have to turn from. And it's a constant, God, I, got, hey, I took care of that one, but Lord, here's another one I gotta deal with. Now, Lord, man, there's another one I gotta deal with, God. I'm gonna turn from that one and turn back to you. It is turning your back on your sin, your pride, your selfishness, and turning to Jesus. It is being filled with grief over your sin enough that you want to turn from it and turn to more fully following Christ. 
The second thing that's required of us because of the joy of Advent is live a life of repentance. Number two is live a life of service. Luke chapter 3, again, verse 11. He answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Now, Jesus isn't promoting socialism here. You know, I've heard a lot of, some people say, you know, Jesus promotes socialism. We all just kind of put it all in a pot and distribute it. That's not what he's doing. But he is describing kingdom living. See, what Jesus is saying here, what John's saying here, is God blesses you so you can bless other people. God doesn't bless you so you can get rich. Now look, if God blesses you and you get rich, great. You know what that means? You got more to give away. You got more to bless people with. You can be a blessing machine. But God gives to you to help other people. When John the Baptist was in prison, his, his faith begins to waver. And man, that makes me feel so good because my faith wavers from time to time. And I mean, here's John the Baptist who is in, in Luke chapter 3 here saying, I am the forerunner of the Messiah. I'm the one who's preparing the way. When Jesus comes to be baptized, he goes, hey, he's the one that's going to take away the sin of the world. He baptizes Jesus when he comes up. A dove comes down and God says, he's my son. And then at the end of his life, John starts going, is he really the Messiah? Is, maybe, maybe I was hallucinating that day. Maybe I had a bad burrito or something. I ate locusts and honey. Maybe it was a bad locust and I, I didn't know what I was seeing. So he sends word by his disciples to say, hey, go to this Jesus guy and say, are you really the Messiah? I know I was there when I baptized you and God spoke from heaven and said you were his son and I should follow. I know that happened. I know the dove came down. I saw it all, but are you really the Messiah? So when, when my faith starts to doubt, I think, whew, I'm in good company. Because John the Baptist doubted, I guess I can doubt too. But he starts to doubt and he asks Jesus to, to kind of, uh, comfort him and make him understand what's going on. So Jesus sends word to John the Baptist, and here's what he says. He says, tell John what things you have seen and heard, how the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor, the to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now, Jesus wasn't just saying something nice, saying, just go tell John it's all good. Jesus was quoting Isaiah. And he knew, John knew Isaiah because John's preaching from Isaiah. So Jesus is quoting Isaiah saying, tell John Isaiah's being fulfilled. Here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So here's what Isaiah is saying. Here's what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is more than spiritual. It's also physical. Jesus isn't just saving people. He is. Praise God he is. But he's not just saving people. He's caring for people. He's meeting their needs. He's serving them. That's the kingdom of God. 
That's our response to the joy of Advent. Not just say, God, thank you for being so good to me. But God, thank you for being good to me. Now I can be the hands and feet of Jesus and serve other people. Look, this year we've, we've done a pretty decent job serving the poor. We feed over 50 families a month through the community cupboard. We've clothed the poor through the Samaritan closet. We've helped provide some Christmas presents for people. We've helped people, but man, we can do so much more. We can be so much more of the hands and feet of Jesus. We are to serve the poor. We are to help those people who can do nothing for us. And that's what I love about the Samaritan Closet and Community Cupboard. These people who come in and need, they may come to church one day. They all get the gospel. They all know what the Bible says. They may come to church. But you know what? If they walk in those doors, you know what they're going to do for our church? Nothing. And that's awesome to me. That's, that's what church is supposed to be. See, and not just our church. I think a lot of churches got too focused on what we can do for the church. What can we do for the church people? How can we help the church people? How can we encourage the church people? And look, we should encourage the church people. We should help the church people. But you know what we should encourage you and help you to do? Get up and get out and help those people. That's what the Advent is. It is joy that causes us to say, God, you have done so much for me. What can I do for other people? How can I serve other people? We are to be the hands and feet of Christ. Serve those who can do nothing for us just like he did. That is our response to the joy of Advent. Look, I know some of you are like, man, that's not a very Christmassy message, Pastor. That's fine. I understand that. I understand why you feel that way. After Christmas, after this year's over, after the presents are open, after the trash is thrown away, after a toy is broken or lost, we still have joy. In the middle of your pain, in the middle of your hurt, in the middle of your trial, you still have joy because of Advent. Are you in a low spot right now? Great. Because Advent means you're going to be lifted up. Are you crooked and rough? Join the club. But the joy is God is working on you to straighten you out and to smooth you over. Are you lost? The greatest news is the gospel is available to you. All you got to do is accept it. And because of that joy, we should live a life of repentance and a life of service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace. Our church is growing and our ministries are doing big things for Jesus. If you're looking for a way to get plugged in or would like more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit us online at reachingroanoke.com. Thanks so much for listening and have a blessed day.